0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, more Terrence House news, Donnie Yen sues the production company behind Iceman 2, uh, some talk about this year's Golden Horse Awards, and our films this week Keyboard Warriors and Golden Job.
1: and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in Chile, South Carolina today and coming to us from his news desk, fresh off the plane from Taiwan, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi there, Paul. Hey there, everyone. How's it going? How are you doing, sir? You're just back from Taiwan, but you're a little bit under the yep. weather. Uh, so I hope yeah. you're feeling better.
0: Thanks. Uh, I mean, it's not the first time. Yeah, just some stomach issues. And, you know, and, uh, they, you know, when you go overseas and you're not eating normally and or at least no more hours and, you know, and then you're watching four movies a day or something, you know, for like a whole week, yeah, it kind of takes a toll on you. So I'm still a bit exhausted. Um, but, you know, my it's not like, cold or anything, so I'm okay. Although, although I, I might still be coughing from a earlier thing. But yeah, otherwise I'm doing all right. Thanks.
1: All right. Excellent. Yeah. Hashtag film critic problems, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> How's it going on your end there, Paul? Uh,
1: it's fine. Uh, we are preparing for the holiday known as Thanksgiving here in the States. So I'm uh, on the road with family as we record this and looking forward to a nice, uh, you know, sort of traditional family holiday. Uh, unfortunately, there have been No new movies of note um, from Hong Kong or Asia uh, coming my way outside of things on Netflix. I know that last time I think we recorded, I had mentioned I was going to talk about the the film, the Netflix documentary from Singapore called Shirkers, and I do intend to get to that, but I had a special request from a fan and a frequent contributor uh, to the show here to do a review of Golden Job, even though we're already a couple months out from that. So... Uh, you know, I take all requests to heart, and here I'm going to talk about Golden Job with Mr. Ma today. So we look forward to that. And as he said, we're going to be talking about a Steffi movie that I wish I could see what I can't see. So we're going to hear Kevin talking about uh, keyboard warriors. But before we get into that, uh, let's do what we always do. And let me throw the talking stick back over to Kevin with this week's news.
0: Here at the news desk, well we're starting with well netflix um has brought back some of our uh, favorite japanese reality shows uh love wagon this uh, second season is back uh on network at least over here in asia we're getting them uh, on a weekly basis um but paul you have some news about our other favorite japanese reality show right
1: yes indeed that is a terrace house opening new doors which is what is it like the fourth or fifth series now comp- considering if we talk about when netflix p- picked it up or not um but yeah, it started earlier this year. We've talked about it frequently here on the show. And I was just kind of thumbing through some online articles, and Time had this article um, titled, The Top 10 Shows of 2018. So I was interested to see you know, what they were picking as their top 10 shows. And lo and behold, there is Terrace House listed at their number six, um, which I kind of found surprising. I guess it's I mean, we've talked about it before. It's been talked about in some pretty notable publications, but I hadn't thought it had really gone that mainstream, but apparently it has. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to see it getting a little bit of recognition. Um, we recently, in our household, finished up um, the current fourth season or fourth series of the Opening New, new Doors segment um, just this past week. We've been taking it really slow. Even though that was rolled out uh, a couple months ago, and Kevin, you
0: still haven't even kind of gotten into it. You've been holding off, right? No, I'm already about. I have of the two episodes left from finishing the current um, uh, batch of episodes. Um, are there new episodes? Do they have a date for the next batch already?
1: They don't, as far as I know. I haven't seen anything. Okay. So, but I'm yeah. I think I'll have to wait another.
0: You be... have to wait another like eight weeks or something after the new Bash come out, so uh, I'm trying to, I'm going to Japan in a couple of weeks, and I will try and finish watching whatever we have here, and then I can hopefully at least try to, I always say I'll try to catch up in Japan, but I never have enough time when I get to Japan. Um, it's really weird, and then I download the episodes and then they only last on my iPad for a certain amount of time, and then they're gone, and I have to be like, oh no, i wasted my time. Um, but no, I, I'm, I, it's not that I'm only like taking easy, is because i have so much other stuff to watch ahead of it because you know i trying to watch a lot of films and i'm also trying to watch some tv shows for work um and love wagon has started and there's a huge surprise in love wagon just even the first episode of the new season but i don't want to ruin it for you here paul but still it's a huge surprise um so I'm just kind of like, oh my god, when I'm gonna finish Terrence house? So I'm kind of taking it easy instead. I, I've taken the terrible habit of reading spoilers <laughs> ahead of time already because I want to find out what happens, but I don't have time to watch it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean I'm, I'm not like intentionally taking it slow. It's just life comes at you hard, and you know it stops your reality show binging.
1: Yeah, indeed, and and I, you know, hopefully once you've kind of caught up with the current season, I'll uh, we'll look forward to talking about. Uh few of the later season points with you on that. So um, yeah, if it's not something that has been on your radar, you know, I think maybe now's the time to to jump in. And you've got most of the seasons up on Netflix now, but you could very easily just start with Opening New Doors if you didn't want to watch some of the earlier shows. They do make the occasional callback. Um, There's one in the current fourth season of Opening New Doors, which is a A distinctive callback to an earlier season that uh, fans will will recognize because it was something that I was talking about with my wife I was saying you know this is this this is almost like what happened you know back back in 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 this earlier episode and um, you know she was like yeah I didn't really think about think of it that way and then they the, the host actually referenced that a little bit later on so you know it is good if you can kind of take the time to go back and and watch some of the earlier shows because of some of the points of context that come into play here and there Um, but it's really not necessary you can really jump in at any point and i think you'll be equally entertained speaking of being equally entertained uh we have a sequel that has come out at long last that people have been talking about and, uh, you know... (laughs)
0: Please, no one has been talking about it. Well, people were talking
1: about where's the sequel? Where's the sequel? Because this was a movie that kind of, you know, did one of those things that some movies do where they have end credit scenes that, you know, basically are the trailer for a sequel. And so this was something that I think a lot of people were talking about, like, is that ever going to happen? Because it was such a bad first movie in, in most people's minds. And here we are, it is, it has been released, and it has uh, led into a lawsuit, right?
0: Well, I, I don't know if it's officially a lawsuit, yeah, I've not double-checked. But yeah, what happened is that Iceman 2 has finally come out. Yay? <laughs> Nay? I don't, I don't know. Who cares? Um, Iceman 1, if you remember, was a pretty terrible movie, but then they promised us a part 2, for better or worse. And uh, But then the thing is, part 2 was for... well. The wait is four years now. It's been four years. Um, and they finally came out. But the thing is, of course, as everyone expected, it was terrible. Um but the thing is I think before the film came out or around when the second sequel came out, the the, the distribution company actually had um they they realized that to sort of cover their asses and they decided to blame Donnie. They said, Oh, Donnie was um it was a male Ego um, uh, sort of dictator. Even though he's not really like behind the team, he was changing dialogue, and he uh, the, essentially the the blame is actually uh, the the blame for the film being terrible is on Donny, not not on uh, director Raymond Wong or, uh, or Raymond Yip or producer Manfred Wan. Um, apparently, it is Donnie all Donnie's fault that Ice Two is a terrible film. I haven't seen it because I wasn't in Hong Kong when it was released, and I am not making much of an effort to go see it because one, I am very busy, and two, movie is very bad. So um, uh, Donnie has sh- struck back on Weibo saying, "Like guys, come on!" Like uh, from what I, heard, I'm not, sure, I haven't seen the Hong Kong theatrical release version, but from what I could tell from the Hong Kong trailer of the sequel Donnie didn't even come back to dub his own Cantonese lines which already says something about how much Donnie loves this movie um, but he struck back saying like how could I have done this like well, it's not my fault what did I do I didn't do anything and two you know if a film and he made a very uh, a point you know very uh, mic drop point which is he says if a film waited four years to be released whose fault is it really yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, come on. Um, so apparently he's considering um, a legal action. I'm Not sure he's actually taking it, but he's threatening legal action against the distributor um, for libel, which makes sense. Um, even though, I mean, everyone know what Donny is. A, you know, when he's a producer, he has the right to be to interfere with production. He has the right to make the sh- call the shots. And and uh, I don't think anyone's gonna gonna go and complain about that. I mean, he is the name that brings people in. And um, whether it's Donnie's fault that this movie is terrible or if it's Donnie's fault for even taking the film in the first place, who knows? I mean, the thing is, the film is what it is, What it is. it's lost money. And, you know, it's put it up behind them. It's not the first time that Donnie, Donnie has made a bad movie. I mean, look at the entire 80s and 90s filmography. So it is not the first time and far from the last time. So is this what put it together? Put it put it behind us the way that I'm sure Donnie has put mishma- mismatched couples behind him, and let's move on with our lives.
1: Yeah, drop it in the commode and let it explode just like in the first <coughs>
0: film. So, um, yeah, a, a
1: friend of the show, um, uh, Stephen was I think he was an a extra or he did, you know he was somehow a part of the production and and he was sharing on Facebook. You know, um, some of his thoughts on it, and basically saying, you know, it's a uh, you know, it's, it, the truth is usually somewhere in between. And I just had to comment, you know, uh, stealing a, a line from Star Wars Rogue One, you know, where it's like this, you know, I'm one with the production, the production is one with me. Um, you know, it's all part of a big team effort. So I think I don't think it's fair to lay the blame solely um, on anybody. And I do agree with his point very much that yeah they held off on this film for a long time, because the first one left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. So, well, I, th- I also think also
0: because the also because the second film they knew they had you know poo poo on their hands. Yeah,
1: I, they had such a stinker. And and usually I mean with these films you go back and you look at some of the some of the, some of the films that were done in tandem back in the '90s. You know I'm thinking of like Chinese Odyssey and. Uh, stuff like that, you know, um, Royal Tramp and things. Those things came out within a year of each other, if not, in some cases, a few months later. So for them to really shelve a film for a period of time and then let Donnie go on to do other stuff, including Hollywood stuff, and, you know, uh, let his name grow and then say, okay, we're coming back with this film, um, I, I, I don't think it's fair to, again, lay the blame at his feet. Maybe, you know, maybe it was you know partially his fault for some things but it's a, again a team effort and you you know just have to take it with a grain of salt i think so all right let's move on from iceman to and talk about golden horse
0: yeah um so i was at the golden horse film festival not the awards i was at the film festival uh watched quite uh, about 20 something films at the festival over a period of a week um and of course um the night before i left it was the golden horse awards and um, anyone who pays attention to things that happen in, in this industry probably know by now that all hell broke loose essentially <laughs> all hell broke loose but first the positives um, so the Golden Horse Awards um, if you don't know it's um, to use a uh, very simple and 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 shallow comparison is the chinese version of the oscars is a chinese um well it's a film festival first of all it's a film festival that accepts submissions um of films of chinese language films around the world so well around asia that includes um they also include malaysia and singapore and china and of course taiwan and hong kong um and this year uh the sort of the and it's been sort of this this narrative that's been happening in the last decade or so, which is, is the rise of Chinese cinema and there's been quite a lot of Chinese films that have won and been nominated in the Golden Horse Awards. And um, the fact that so many Chinese films have won has drew some criticism within Taiwan saying, you know, why are we letting these Chinese films and uh, why are they beating Taiwan films when the whole award is, is funded and held by organized by Taiwanese uh, people? Um, but anyway, that's that. But uh, this year has it's sort of been the same. Uh, um, really huge. Uh, if we're keeping score, apparently someone was keeping score. This year, Chinese films won fourteen awards versus Taiwan films won eleven. Hong Kong won won only one. So let's not even like put them in the in the running. Like that's okay. They, they're just sort of sitting on the side, like like eating peanuts, watching the show. Um, but what? Uh, so sort of a quick. Um, a Round of what happened. Um, uh, Shadow, the Zhang Yi Mo film, won the most number of awards. It won four awards. Um, Dear, uh, won Best Director for Zhang Yi Mo and three other technical awards. Um, and then Dear X, a Taiwanese film and probably the souls sort of Taiwanese representative, um, or the leading Taiwanese representative uh, at this year's nominees, won three awards, including uh, Best Actress. um Best uh, do, 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 do best Original Song, and um, one other award. But, you know, still pretty well. It, it, it still did pretty well, considering. Um, for what it is. Um, and that's the second biggest winner. Also, three awards for Long Day's Journey into Night, the second film by director Bigan, uh, Chinese director Bigan, who did Kylie Blues and this film, and both Kylie Blues and this film is, are known for having... Um, an insanely long um, long take uh, and it, well also insanely hard to pull off long take um, and I think uh, so I think Long Day's Journey Tonight won three technical awards um, and then the sort of top winner of the night actually went to uh, a Chinese film called Elephant Standing, uh, sorry An Elephant Sitting Still uh, it's a Chinese drama, it's a four hour Chinese drama um, it won uh, Best Adapted Screenplay it's actually adapted from uh, uh, director Hubo's original novel, uh, and it won Best Film. So it won the top award, it only won two awards, but it won the top award, which uh, it's ultimately what matters. The story behind the film is actually quite controversial because the director Hubo, he finished a, uh, a fairly final three-hour and 50-minute cut, uh, but there was a, a lot of uh, trouble surrounding the post-production of the film, particularly... The uh, rift between Hubo and his investors, his, his, being that his investors didn't want to release a three-hour and fifty-minute film, and Hubo having made the film in such a way that it's actually impossible to cut down. I saw the film at the festival, and I could tell because each scene is is, is essentially one long take. So it's very very difficult to cut it any shorter than what it is. Um, but the investors, um, they, they you know, seemed you know, considering they dug in their heels actually even threatened to remove uh, Hubo's name uh, from the film and didn't pay him uh, his, his fee as a director. Um, and there was a huge, huge um, mess going, uh, uh, a huge fighting happening when Hubo committed suicide. It's not known whether Hubo committed suicide directly because of the trouble surrounding the production. But anyway, it's a tragic end, and the film was never officially completed. Uh, but after um, the tragic incident, the producer, original producers, which includes director Huang Xiaoshuai it's, it's a he's a very famous uh, fifth generation director in China. Um, they they reverted their rights and give it back to the uh, to director's parents, and they moved their names from the film. And um, a film festival named First in Xining stepped in and actually finished the post production of the film. Um, they had the film premiere in Berlin where it won the preci Prize and then it, uh, the finished completed version um, because the first film festival paid for the post production of the film. They had the sound mixed and they came up with a new score and essentially finished the film. Um, they premiered it at the first film festival and then it was it was uh, submitted to the Golden Horse Festival and it won the top prize. Uh, Hubo's mother uh, went on stage to accept the awards. She was, uh, both awards. She was obviously very emotional and she couldn't say much on the stage. Um, but uh, it's a very fitting tribute. Uh, and it's a very fitting, because I wouldn't say the end because I think the film still has a long way to go after this win. But it's a, it's a very um, sad but it's a very bittersweet note for the film um, because, you know, the sad part is, I think, is I will never see the greatness that Hubo could have achieved. I mean, this film is, Elephant, Elephant Sitting Still was a great film. It's a great, great film for what it is. It has its flaws, but I think it's a great film. It's a very, um, it's an admirable achievement. And to think that Hubo could have even achieved something greater is, I think, the it's just the saddest part of this whole story. Um. So uh, that film uh, um, was uh, had a lot of uh, achievements uh, on the night of the awards. The only Hong Kong film that picked up an award is Best Supporting Actor for Tracy uh, Ben Yuan, who plays a an older transgender woman uh, in the film. Um, it's his uh, first nomination and first win. Um, although it is kind of sad that Hong Kong, once a formidable force, at the awards uh only picked up you know one award at the end of the night um and it didn't have any no- major nominations this year no best film no best director no best actor uh is there a best actor no best actor um no screenplay um and yeah but you know that's that's another side story but the biggest story of the night the one that's making global headlines the one that i got briefly interviewed for by bbc world service is what happened at the best documentary award the best documentary award went to a film called uh, our youth in taiwan um it's a documentary that is about two activists um in taiwan one was one of the leaders of the sunflower movement um and later disgrace because of other things that happened in his life, and then other one it's a it's a student is it's, it's a it's a student from mainland China studying in Taiwan, and she also became a social activist in Taiwan, and of course that put her in some trouble, um, but it's about their stories, and so the film you know it's already kind of political. Um, Or it's it's about political issues, but it's about those characters. Mainly it's about those characters. Um, When director Fu Yue went up to the stage to take the award, she ended her acceptance speech by saying that her wish, her dream as a Taiwanese is to see her country be considered an independent entity or an individual entity which means, yes, she wants Taiwan to be independent. That pissed off a lot of people because there's a lot of people in China. Yes, that pissed off a lot of people in China. Um, suddenly, the entire Weibo, every film Weibo, is what I call it, the way we have film Twitter, we have film Weibo, all of film Weibo started reposting the Chinese, uh, Chinese uh, map, including Taiwan, saying um, uh, 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 China, not one uh, how do I say it? The way they're saying is like no, not a not a dot can go missing, as in referring to Taiwan on the map is a little dot. So they say not one dot less can be missing from China. So uh, obviously everyone fall the line. All the celebrities that were at uh, Golden Horse, they quickly retweeted that or we we that photo that map. Um, other celebrities stepped in. Even William Chan, a Hong Kong star who we haven't seen in Hong Kong in a while because he has a huge career in China now. Even he went and we posted the thing and says, Read it, Repeat after me, Taiwan, China. So everyone had to fall in the line. Apparently, um, everyone except director Lo Ye uh, boycotted the, uh, the post award um, uh, cocktail uh there's already rumors flying everywhere saying that oh uh, you know the the authorities are not going to allow chinese films to be submitted to the awards next year which has already been denied apparently uh it's all moving very quickly but then you know there's a lot of talk about whether director should have done this and she should have said this or she said that she doesn't regret saying it she says that um you you don't have to agree with me um but, you know, you can say China, Taiwan, China all you want on stage because that's what happened afterwards. Um, after she said it, um, Tumen, uh, the the best actor winner last year, went on stage and said, I'm really happy here to be here in Taiwan, China. Uh, which pissed off a ton of netizens in Taiwan. Um, and then it's not clear who, who who started this whole thing, whether it's because uh, Fu Yue already had this in her speech written out, or was it because Zhang Yimou was pre- presenting the Best New Director award, and, she, and he said that uh, all five directors are part of Chinese cinema. So it's not known who said what first or who provoked who. But anyway, it's now this whole big international incident and everyone's afraid now or everyone thinks everyone's in trouble. Um, of course, the Chinese netizens excuse that art should be art and politics should be politics. Here, OK, I think people who don't understand is that here's the problem. OK, in Taiwan, when you say something like Taiwan independence, it's it's known as a political position okay it's like saying that uh i'm a republican or i'm a democrat i'm a left wing or a right winger but in china they don't believe in political position there is only politically correct there is according to china so to them when you say something that is not politically correct in china you are therefore wrong so there is only to them when what you're saying to them goes against what they know to be fact and there's a lot of people in China. And when you have, when you piss off even 10% of China, it means 140 million people. And that's a lot of people. So it's it, it's sort of an ongoing situation right now. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of angry words being exchanged around, um, especially at the director and whether the authorities in China are going to blame the awards for this or the award committee for this. This, of course, first, um, Ang Lee's first year as the festival chairman, uh, as the awards chairman. And man, did he look stressed. I mean, he looks stressed usually, right? Even when he shows up in public, Kyuri looks stressed, but he looked more stressed than usual that night. Um, and he's he's trying to sort of play it in the middle. He's like, well, it's, you know, the awards, anyone can, it's on stage, can say whatever they like. Um, it's their freedom, and I hope there's some respect among. Uh, filmmakers, or just some respect to the filmmakers and to to each other. And um, he's staying neutral. Of course, he's not taking a side. He is saying, like, look, she had the right to say what she wanted. I'm not saying I agree with her, but you know, we can't censor her. And I'm trying to be good host here. Just, just you know, I think mean, I think he's probably hopped on a flight back to America already. <laughs> just trying to wash himself of all this. Um, and of course, the Ministry of Culture in Taiwan is backing the director uh, for freedom of speech whether whether it agrees with her position or not. But of course, the official position of the Taiwanese government is that, well, yeah, she has a point. Yeah, of course you want to be considered an independent entity. So of course they are backing her, um, which is much, much different than what happened when 10 years won in Hong Kong Film Awards. Just a little bit of historical comparison. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the ongoing mess. And uh, yeah, that's the latest from uh, the Golden Horse Awards. I suppose if more happened... Um, later on or some other time I'll, I'll come back and report again but so far this has been what happened so far
1: alright well yeah it's a bit of a a, a storm every year now in, in some way shape or
0: form at the awards or, or otherwise people aren't paying attention right so. well here's the thing right last year uh, a lot of people actually, you know, this is the thing about amnesia, right? Everyone has a bit of amnesia when, you know, they they suddenly have their minds focused on something else. Last year when Yang Ya Che, director Yang Ya Chie of uh, director of both The Corrupt the Beautiful, when he won the um the top prize, he ended his speech with a political statement. He was um he put out he, he put out a huge banner uh, with the phrase, Nobody is an outsider, which is actually a reference um against The um, the the ties between government and commerce or or big corporations affecting the lives of aboriginal or or taking the lands of aboriginal people. That's a huge political statement, but it's only a political statement in Taiwan. And again, in Taiwan, you can state a political position and not get in trouble for it. Because, but because China doesn't care, because it's not their problem. But suddenly when you say something that doesn't sound right to China, suddenly they're all like, we're leaving the awards. Oh my God, politics should be politics. Art should be art, which I think is total BS. But anyway, that's that.
1: When we come back, uh, our first e e-screen review for the week, new director Siet ho Jing's Keyboard Warriors. And welcome back. So, for our first review this week, it's a film from new director Sid Ho Jing with Steffi and pretty much nobody else you've ever heard of in the film Keyboard Warriors.
0: Yes, uh, Keyboard Warriors is the latest production by uh, Mkin Hong, which uh, you might have heard of if you watch films like uh, Lan Kui Fong, the Lan Kui Fong trilogy. My God, is a trilogy, <laughs> um, or uh, uh, Paul's favorite film of 2017. Members only. So, um, <laughs> an, an illustrious career uh, of, of, of productions for producer Mukin M- M- home But of course, he's more known because he produces. His company is called Local Productions, and he does indeed produce local films. Uh, Keyboard Wars is, is his latest production as directorial debut of Sid Ho Ching, who I'll go into uh, in a little bit. But uh, quickly, here's the story of the film. Suitcases of cash fall out of an armored car onto the streets, creating a huge commotion in the city. Typical loner, Jay Kwan, played by Sing Lam, and his buddy, Ang Ray, played by Neo, Ra- Neo Yao, are both witnesses, and they're curious about the incident. They call up a search team on Golden Form to look into those who picked up the money. Policewoman Nancy, played by Steffi Tang, Um, the sister of money-minded girl Mandy played by Grace Chan was on scene and is tasked to lead the investigation as the search team keeps digging they realize that there's more than meets the eye Um, so uh, just a little
1: bit of background right this is based on a real thing that happened very loosely based on on a real news story from what I remember
0: that's right yeah a um, so I think uh, armored car a couple of cases of money fell off an armored car and lots of people picked it up and the police and they, they all thought oh you're gonna run away with the money but actually um the thing is the police went up tracking the money and arrested a bunch of people uh for picking up the money which means that the police actually is more powerful than you think then for some reason they don't they choose to take their time prosecuting certain other people <laughs> but anyway that's an that's another thing that we wouldn't, talk, we shouldn't be talking about yeah. here. There's, there's no politics I on be, this show, right? <laughs> is it politics? I don't know. I mean, politics. What, what is politics? Life is politics. Paul, huh? <laughs> life is political. Everything is political. But anyway, okay, moving on. Um, yeah, so it's based on, it's loosely based on that incident, and. Um, and, and I think uh, if you don't know Golden Forum, it is a very popular internet forum. It's essentially the the hotbed of netizen culture in Hong Kong. Well, at least it used to be because a bunch of um, uh, Golden Forum user unhappy with the management, sort of like Reddit, I guess, they went off and founded their own different forum. And that forum has become equally popular as, as Golden Forum. Golden Forum has also been the home of um, several really hit uh, novels because some posters like to go up and post long form stories. It's the, sort of a new new way of, a, you know how back then like Jin Rong posts his uh, uh, novels as serials on newspapers? Well, there's a new new era so you see these wannabe aspiring authors write um, uh, their novels and post bits and post them bits at a time on Golden Form and they become so popular that they become released as novels. So one is the um, uh, uh, what was it? god what's the chinese name one night i took the anyway the novel that became the midnight after the Fu Chan film um due west uh of course si ho Cheng's own golden brother also came from golden forum so golden forum is really a um is the hotbed of pop hip-hop netizen pop culture in hong kong and it's a source of many pop culture things that sort of fall falls over the you know goes over the heads of many people outside of hong kong even in china because it's just very very local in fact they even have their own vernacular because they're not allowed to put uh curse words so they have their own vernacular to replace certain curse words and even those vernaculars have gone into like mainstream culture that's how big golden forum is um so this is what this film is about it's about those so people on golden forums who team together and they do these background checks on people um for example they see a a guy on the street um, slapping, getting slapped by a girl. They have the power. They they source the power of the community community to to find out who this guy is through really creepy background check tactics. And uh, uh, I think it's called human flesh search engine, right? That's that's kind of what what they call it. Um, yeah. and and that's I guess what... the
1: Western equivalent is kind of like doxing, now, right? Yeah, like, where yeah they like find way, out people's yeah. information and, and post it up online for you know people to. You know, find out about them and and or harass them.
0: Yeah, essentially that's what it is. I mean, they call it justice, but um, the film never goes into the dark side of that because you know it's the directorial debut of Sid Ho Ching, who found fame with a Golden Forum novel. He uh, he's the writer behind Golden Brothers, so he is a one of those guys. He is essentially one of them. In fact, uh, a lot of the user's name usernames you see in the film are actual legendary Golden Forum members. Um names. So that's we always said a QA um, when we attended a screening. Um, so you can see that he's on those guys' side. But the dark side of Doxing, the dark side of keyboard warrior culture is is rarely explored in this film because it's a very netizen savvy film, and there's a lot of references to net terms, and of course there are some anime references because a lot of these golden form guys, they're they're um stereotype stereotyped as geeks. Um, or loners or sort of uh, uh, losers who who only who are only social on, on the internet and they, they're they're actually sort of uh, introverted in real life. They're afraid of um showing them the real selves on on uh, in real life. Um but anyway, Sid, Sid Ho Chang does I mean, his first tour debut. He's he's only written a few novels, so he's not a particularly great filmmaker. Not, I don't know if he knows films, so he's not a really great director. The acting is really subpar. Um, Lorene Tang, who plays um, one of the members of uh, a, woman, a girl who joins the search team, she's especially terrible. Um, if you remember her, she was in uh, Lawrence uh, Lawrence Chang's uh, Yuppie Fantasia 3 as a daughter. Um, and she was mainly cast, I think, partly, mainly for her assets. And uh, unfortunately, she hasn't improved her acting here. In fact, I think it's gotten worse. Um, and I think the technical crew of the film picks up a lot of the slack. Some of the camera work is slick, although you don't really see much quote unquote directing going on here. Um Steffi bring brings some weight to the cast, she's the biggest name on the cast, which unfortunately says more about the rest of the cast than Steffi's own abilities and actress. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. It's true. She's okay in the film, but come on, when Steffi is your strongest actor, I think yeah. you have a huge problem with your cast. Um The script itself is okay. Um, There is a pretty big twist that isn't given away by the marketing materials at all that I shouldn't give away here. But uh, I think it's given away, it's told pretty early on. So it's hard to talk about the plot or the narrative structure without giving away the twist. So I'm not going to. But um, the twist is very interesting. And it sort of sends the film into a very, um, a direction that, you wouldn't have predicted when you look at the marketing materials or you hear the story, the basic um, uh, selling point, the basic lock line of the story. Um, there's some fun to be had, but it's not really an outright comedy. It actually becomes quite serious. Um, but then I think there's not much weight to the drama because all that's really at stake is blank spoiler, and and which I can't talk about. And the other thing is the reputation of a bunch of keyboard warriors. So it's like, yeah, this, like after you watch it, it's like, oh, okay, so what? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what it is. Um, it's a lockline-driven production, as many Ng Kinhong Hong films are. As in, Ng Kinhong he thinks of an idea, he goes, let's make a, make, let's make a film. So, Lan Kui Fong, let's talk about young people clubbing, and then a trilogy was therefore born. Um, <laughs> let's talk about um, private clubs uh, 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 that are frequented by rich young brokers, and then members only, was was born. Um, I want to make a film about keyboard warriors. And then keyboard warriors was therefore born. So it doesn't really say much more than what you see. He's not, like I said, the film really avoids the negative aspects of doxing. Um, it avoids the whole whole whole, you know ethics about pr- privacy and infringing on people's privacy and whether people have the right to the privacy and even when they're acting in a public sphere um, and what happens you know when there's fake news involved and what happens when people get things wrong it's very typical of Ng Kin Hong's films is that it's pretty much just driven by the idea that he has in his mind the topic he wants to tell and then that's it and that's it um, so you know it's a very fluffy film not that it's a very not that it's a it's a funny film not that it's a light film this is a very fluffy film as in you see it and then you don't really remember much after uh, a couple weeks or something in fact it's been what like three weeks since I've seen it. I don't remember half the story already I don't remember much of the film um, but it's a young people's film so if we if used the internet keyboard warrior culture as something that's um, good for society um, that they're acting out of justice they're acting righteously that they're you know doing the right they're, they're enacting their their kind of justice um even when the depiction of the people of the people behind them are still somewhat stereotypical um there's of course a lot also a lot of casual misogyny because golden form is a male-dominated place and and so therefore there is a lot of misogyny on there and and um uh, a lot of um uh, verbal abuse against women and the, the script sort of carries that is that you know women are mostly seen as just sort of objects they don't really do much ultimately the heroes are the two guys um and then i won't say any more than that um otherwise you know it's kind of like Live in Flames. We were talking about this. Remember, we were mentioning we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Paul. And we were like, "What was that film, with Mister?" And and then he told me. I think the next week it was Live in Flames. And I was like, "I was like, I actually this movie actually existed. I totally <laughs> forgot that." By the way, is also a keen Home production. I should tell you. <laughs> um, so I will probably forget the existence of this movie in a few years. It's it's just really forgettable and um. You know, it's a, it's it's kinda sad. It's a local film and you know, therefore it already has its merits because it's a very local story, very local theme, and you don't get much of those these days. Um, it's it's not a terrible film. Um, it's not very painful to watch. It's just an amusing little diversion. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that it's local is both a plus and I think it's a fatal flaw because the um, the film is fine for Hong Kongers, especially people who are, you know, part of this culture but hardly anyone outside of Hong Kong has any reason to care about the film. So it's both a plus and a flaw. Um, is it the worst thing? Is it even gonna be in my bottom 10? Of course not. I mean, it's actually not that bad, actually it's a little better than, than one might expect. Um, but ultimately I probably will forget that we I've seen this film in about two years.
1: Yeah, I do have one question because in some ways we talk about films that focus on internet culture and I don't really remember a lot of it from Golden Brother, but I'm thinking of other films like um, Train Man or stuff that you know is really based on internet speak. Do they do a lot of focus in this on like people actually sitting down and typing at a computer, or do they have like word bubbles pop up on screens like you've seen in some movies when it's based on you know texting, like I'm thinking like maybe chat or, or stuff like that? Um, do they do they spend a lot of time? trying to focus on, you know, that people engaged in that, you know, being engaged in the golden form or, or, or whatever form they have here? Or is it, you know, pretty straightforward and just, you know, kids, you know, maybe a, one scene at a computer and then the rest of the time they're on their phones or out on the street or something?
0: A um, bit of both. I mean, because, I mean, obviously a lot of the film revolves around that whole internet search, um, how they use the community to to get certain means, uh, to achieve certain things. Um, so obviously, there are a couple of scenes of those, at least a couple of major sequences that involve it. But is it a particularly smart way of showing it? Not really. I mean, it shows that it works. Um, but, uh, like I said, it's not memorable film, Paul. I don't mm. remember much of it. But it happens. I mean, it certainly happens. But you wouldn't go like, oh, that's smart. I wish I thought of that. It's just like, oh, okay, well, that's what they do. Yeah, of course, that's what... That's what like a 50 year old guy imagined these kids would do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. So it's not it's not particularly deep uh, in depth about it. I mean, the fact that yes, yeah, Siho Ching puts in a lot of references, but I have a feeling he's not one of those human human flesh engine guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he uses some of those tech tactics, and but they're not ex- especially enlightening tactics. So you know, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, and and for those you know curious, the human flesh search term is um, I'm probably gonna butcher this it's it's called something like Ya sao like or something like that right yeah, yeah. so you know in, instead of your yang Bao you've now got
0: that term that you can add to your collective library right right I guess if you're if you wanted a Chinese translation to doxing that's pretty much yeah. What it is actually now that i think about it i think perhaps they didn't go too deep into the the tactics they use because then you have to spend a lot of time talking about the ethics surrounding it um because the film does talk about uh talk about you know breaking into certain like some accounts or break into a bank a bank server or something but of course they don't have time to stop and talk about you know ethics surrounding doxing so they don't really go into it and i think that's the reason why they didn't because once Once you go into it, then you have to question it and questioning it will kind of ruin the fun. So, you know, they didn't do it.
1: Yeah, indeed. Still, this is a movie that makes me wish I was back in Hong Kong just to go, you know, watch it at the Dynasty on a lazy afternoon for a very cheap price. It wasn't playing at the Dynasty. Oh, really? Oh, that's too bad. It didn't play at the
0: Dynasty. Otherwise, we would have gone to watch it there, but it didn't play at the Dynasty.
1: Hmm yeah and it you know stuff like this and iceman 2 also make me wish that since i'm not in hong kong i wish everything had a day and date
0: online release somewhere so. <laughs> seriously all the films paul you wish keyboard warriors and iceman 2 had global yeah, day because and day release.
1: this is the stuff this is the stuff that you know would make me happy every week even though they're bad films i l- look forward to going watching them at the dynasty and you know, ha- having that access cut off, you know, it's like you know, <coughs> th- th- that's that's my that's my junkie addiction, I guess. You know, I'm, I go through withdrawals, so, and uh, mm. I, I just can't leave it up to WellGo USA to throw me a bone every few months. So, all right. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about another e-screen film, and that is the return of the young and dangerous guys in Golden Job.
0: Dong
1: And welcome back. So for our second eScreen review this week, uh, as we said, we're kind of going back in time a little bit to a film that was released a few months ago, and that is Golden Job, starring Egan Cheng, Jordan Chan, Jerry Lam, Chin Carlock, and Michael Tse. If those names mean anything to you, you've probably seen them in one of the many young and dangerous movies. Um, the gang is back here, this time, you know, kind of coming together, touching back on that nostalgia. Um, but they are different characters, even though they're kind of in the same character roles for the most part. Um, and it's a, it's a new story. The guys are older. Not sure if they're wiser. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about our thoughts on this film. This is coming from Chin Carlock, uh, who takes the director's helm. This, I think, is his third full-on directorial role. Um, he's got quite a few credits, of course, as an action director and uh, I tend to like the work that he does in in that role. Uh, We're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, was he more or less capable here as a sort of full-on director? I think we'll have mixed feelings on that. But first, the story. Uh, This is telling the story of Lion, played by Egan Cheng, who leads a group of government-funded ex-military mercenaries who take on Robin Hood-style heist jobs. Um, But when a job to steal some much-needed medicine turns out to actually be a shipment of gold bullion, the team finds themselves cut off from and on the run from their former employers. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you've seen all of the Young and Dangerous films, you kind of already know the character relationships that they're going for here. They don't break out of those boundaries at all. They, you know, um, you know, so you kind of had Eakin in the lead role as the group's leader. You have uh, Jordan Chan playing a character called Volcano and he's the hothead of the group. You have um, Jerry Lamb, who's kind of the quiet, more pensive one, and he's called, I think his name is Mouse, translated as Mouse. Uh, Chin Carlock is the driver, of course, because Chin Carlock has a love of cars, and he brings that love here as well. Um, And his, I think his, what is his name, Calm. And then finally we have Michael Tse, who's got a standard name, Billy. (laughs) It <laughs> just kind of seemed weird to me. You know, it's like got all these strange kind of code names and then you got Billy. So, um, but yeah, so the gang's back. Um, I had fun with this because I kind of went into it not really knowing what to expect ex- other than I was going to see the Young and di- Dangerous guys on screen. We've had a Young and Dangerous, you know, remake some years back, right, Kevin? Um That what? was... Kind of uh, so so the reboot was yeah. it reboot the, the, or the, the, the reboot with the new cast and everything and you know that was that yeah. was okay it, it wasn't it didn't kind
0: of bring no back... it had the uh, no it had the famous uh, the famous classic line um, you went to you went to university in Harvard I went to university on the street <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, you know t- I think for for
1: the most part Chin Carlock really delivers on most of the action here the rest of it is you know it's okay uh, as I said this is only his third full directing feature so you get a lot of emphasis on the action not a lot of emphasis in terms of character developments um there's a there's a romantic relationship that's kind of alluded to only in the bookends on this film it really doesn't matter for the for the length of the film and you kind of could have cut all of that out um, really and just had you know them do this job that went wrong and it You know, the stakes could have still been there without even needing those scenes, I think. But they wanted to make this a big film, and it travels, you know, it moves to different locations globally. And again, not expecting that. I think part of that and part of the higher budget that goes into this won me over a little bit. Um, But, yeah, there's a a couple chase scenes uh, with cars that I don't think hold up very well. There's an extended sequence in Japan where... They switch to CGI at points and it just doesn't work. It's like really bad CGI in a few sequences where the physics just don't look right. But at the same time, they do have some practical pieces that I think work really good. There's a car crash that goes through this mall building, which I thought looked really good, really impressive. I had a hard time determining if it was all practical or they had mixed in some you know, Fast and Furious style CG elements in there. It seemed like they had a lot of extras on the ground when that happened. So um, that particular scene was impressive. So you get this this mixture of things that don't look so great with things that look really good. Um, and overall, it's kind of a middling experience, I think. But um, again, because it kind of goes to different locations, uh, I liked that it felt bigger than than I expected it to be. But overall, it's full of a lot of tropes, I was okay with that because you just haven't seen these guys on screen that often together of late. Um, They're older. They still have a presence. They feel good in these roles if you like them in the Young and Dangerous roles. Um, Maybe some people would have preferred for this just to be a straight-up Young and Dangerous film, but I think the era of Hong Kong now, and especially with the remakes, of the Young and Dangerous movie, and there was another one called Triad, I think, that had didn't have, have William Chan in it. Kevin, well, both
0: Tri both Triad and the the reboot of uh, Young and Dangerous was from the same director, Daniel yeah. Chan. Um,
1: so I, you know, I think we've seen those kind of things in uh, what I would call a post uh, election movie universe, if you will. You know, where I think the election movies <laughs> kind of set the standard for m- the more modern Triad films in a post-Hanover, Hong Kong. And you've had other stuff, of course. You know, people would perhaps point to things like Infernal Affairs and things, but I I really think that the Young and Dangerous era, that kind of feeling was very indicative of the 90s, and it's not something that can be rebooted or recreated necessarily in the current environment. So it's interesting to see them here in those same kind of character roles, but doing something uh, that's a lot different. Instead of Cleavers, they've got you know, machine guns, and uh, they're they're on the run. But it's still a lot of those same kind of tropes. You know, there's a betrayal that happens that you can kind of see coming. Not really a big twist, but we won't spoil it. Um, there are some surprise cameos that show up that I think are really cool. Again, I wasn't really expecting a lot of that. Um, you, you can kind of look at this film as like an alternate verse of Young and Dangerous. So and if the guys in Young and Dangerous didn't become triad guys, they went on to – joined the military and ended up as a, you know, Secret Service mercenaries. you know, it's kind of like a an a D.C. alternative universe or something. Um, I quipped on Facebook early on that after watching this, it, I felt like it was like if you had sat down to play Counter-Strike, um, you know, with the young and dangerous actors at a certain point, um, that's kind of the feeling I had in, in quite a few places. And I also wondered if they ever do a prequel for this, you know, the golden job, the prequel, are they going to cast Nick say? As the Lion Roll, um, or you know, are they going to go that route? To, I don't think we'll get a sequel. I'd be surprised if we do. Uh, I'm not sure. Kevin can probably fill us in on how well this did in terms of box office. Um, but overall, you know, I had fun. The tropes are there. Angry Guaylo acting is there. You've again got some cameos. Um, Yasuaki yeah, Saki Kurata is here and he kicks butt, which is great to see. There was a couple other surprise cameos. Um, one's not really a surprise. Another one was kind of a surprise. Um, so there's things to look forward to. And again, they touch back on the old music and the nostalgia gets flowing. So those aspects, I think, if you're a fan of the Y&D series, uh, are fun and enough for you to want to sit through and, and watch this. So, Kevin, you had some different thoughts on it.
0: so. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I thought that for a film that, features supposedly smart people is incredibly stupid <laughs> um I, I think that cashing in on on hong kong nostalgia in china is nothing new i don't think the film did particularly well in china um considering i think the budget it seems like it cost a lot they went to what budapest and japan and where where else um I think there were, montenegro they, and and there was an initial scene i don't know if it was
1: sub- in africa but it was supposed to be africa it was right, in a desert, it, yeah. was in the desert. Yeah, so. it was in a desert
0: yeah yeah i like the title card we're in Africa. <laughs> it's like a uh, Europe Raiders when they're like Chinatown, Italy. It's like, guys, would it kill you to just name a city? Like <laughs> it's not that hard, just name a city. You don't have to shoot in the city. Just name a city, guys. Um but anyway, yeah, it it, it you know, cashing on a Hong Kong nostalgia in China is nothing new. Um the film did actually pretty well in Hong Kong for what it is. It didn't do particularly well in China for its budget. Um, you know, but what it is, what it is, exactly what you expect from a cash in. Um, the CG work, though, is incredibly shoddy for a film that's made in, 19, in 2018. Um, that Japanese, that, that street chase in Japan is really one of the worst things I've seen on this side of PlayStation One. Um, and I think that even the the makers of the first Grand Turismo wouldn't have let that scene pass. Uh, Get into the game. I'm talking about what 20 years ago when PlayStation One is on. Um, the twist is given away pretty early on, but. Okay, I'm not gonna say anything, um, and therefore I can't. We can't really comment on the second half of the plot. Um, Hayward Mac was one of the writers. A bunch of directors, uh, writers was brought in by producer Eric Zhang to salvage the screenplay. Um, so there's a lot of emotional undercurrent, and there's a bit stronger character work than in the usual heist film. Um, and I think that's what Hayward Mac brought in. But there's an intensely, insanely, insanely stupid plot hole in the in the end, and I would try to not. I would try to talk about about spoiling it. Okay, there's a certain character who steals the gold bullion. Okay, and then according to the exposition, it says that that certain person has bought an island uh, with its own security detail, and it looks like a freaking army. All right, I think it's enough to guard all of Hong Kong against a foreign invasion. That's how big the army is. Um, and then they go in, they go in, and they do this whole big invasion thing. And it turns out he still has a vault full of gold. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's our things in Montenegro. I've never been to Mont- Montenegro, but I don't think Montenegro is that cheap, right? Like, where you can buy an entire freaking island of a castle, an entire security... Entire army and still have a vault full of gold. cost
1: one I, it, one bar of gold bullion. That's all. Yeah,
0: apparently it only costs <laughs> one bar of gold. It's like John Wick. It's like John Wick where like a coin buys your entire night, like a, a week at that really fancy schmancy hotel. It's like when is when is Keanu just gonna run out of coins in that <laughs> franchise? But anywho, um, yeah, just such a dumb movie. Um, and then there's a random Andrew Lau cameo. Yes, I know Andrew Lau is the director of Young and Dangerous, so therefore it's his big re- re- reunion. But the scene, it makes no sense. He just sort of shows up like, oh, there's Andrew Lau as a Japanese person. No! <laughs> and then he never appears again. What the hell? Like, you put... yeah, I, that's, the, that's, the op, you know, that's the level we're operating at here, where you have Andrew Lau throwing in a, a young and dangerous reunion for no good reason just to give some fan service. And the plot never gets past that level. That's how dumb this entire movie is. It it, it puts in fan service ahead of actually servicing the story or putting together a logical story or putting together even logical placement of characters. Um, so, you know, if they can't put together a better package than this, why don't I just buy the old, young, and dangerous movies and revisit those. I don't need this to refuel my nostalgia. Like, if I feel nostalgic about these guys, I'd rather watch them in something good than having to pay to watch something new that's terrible. And that's what this is. Um, Again, these are like Keyboard Warriors, right? It's not the worst thing. Keyboard Warrior is better than Golden Job. Here, if if we're going (laughs) to try and rank these movies tonight. Yeah, Keyboard Warriors is better than Golden Job okay it makes more sense it's not better acted but at least the plot makes more sense and the story is better
1: and there's no cgi cars
0: (laughs) and there are no cgi cars oh actually that might be no there are no cgi cars it has better cgi because yeah they're the actual you know those computer chat windows whatever they look better than this chart that all of that car chase um so yeah it's a pretty terrible movie
1: yeah, unfortunately, I think you'd need a bar of gold bullion to buy the, all the young and dangerous films now because they're all out of print, right?
0: Well, they could have used one of gold bullion <laughs> to put together better special effects. <laughs>
1: uh yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, again, I I, have, I do kind of agree with everything Kevin said, but I guess being over here starving in a desert, you know, it it was fun filler for me, and and that's exactly what it was. It was it was complete filler and fluff. And if you can overlook the the bad CGI chase, um, I think the rest of it is palatable. The one thing I really appreciated with this film, too, was, again, um, they have Karada here. And like they used him in God of War, they let him act in Japanese. And they don't, you know, bring a, an actor to overdub him in, in Cantonese. So I was very appreciative that they, you know, are, are giving him opportunities to come back in Hong Kong films and to just act without having to worry about overdubbing. So uh, that's another bonus point for me. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit concast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob G. Boer of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, and but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via our website at concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at East S, West S. Uh, as always, please do check out our friends over at the Podcast on Fire Network and all the good work that they do. But, uh, you know, who should you follow? You should follow Kevin Ma and everything that he uh, does.
0: So where can they find out more about you, sir? You can read uh, my work on Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragons magazines, uh, Discovery and Silk Road. This month I write about um, German road film 303. And for movie premiere, i forgot. See, i am making progress, okay? I can't remember what I wrote for One character. I also wrote about killing Eve, which is a great, great series. Um, and yeah, I forgot what about more about movie premiere, so it must not be that good. Um, anyway, read my writing on that, and also read my monthly list. Go on uh, dis- uh, uh, discovery.captivecivic.com under our stories. You'll find you find some Infinite Entertainment um, pieces there, um, and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, at the Golden Rock. That's one word, The Golden Rock. You can also reread my entire Golden Horse Live blog on Asia in Cinema. That's www.asiaincinema.com. And, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. also reach me at kevin at asiancinema.com if you wish to um, tell me that there's only one China or tell me your political position. Um, I don't care, but you can tell me anyway if you want to. There you go.
1: Alright, excellent. Um, So, for our next show, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I think I'm probably going to get around to talking about Shirkers, unless uh, something else between now and then uh, comes my way. And uh, Kevin, what are you going to be talking about? And please don't
0: say Iceman 2. (laughs) No, that's because I didn't watch Iceman 2. I watched four Hong Kong movies in Taiwan, and all four movies won't get released for some time, so it'd be a great time to 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 put some early reviews up so it's either going to be um, Fuchan's Three Husbands um, Stu Human starring Anthony Wong or G Affair starring uh, Chapman Toe or it's gonna be uh, Master Z starring uh, Max Zhang which comes out in December so maybe we should start by Master Z because that's the one that comes out um, the soonest yeah that
1: sounds good I'm, I'm still got my fingers crossed that uh, I might be able to get to get out to see that but no news as of yet so All of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Green West Green podcast saying happy Thanksgiving for all of you who are going to be uh, carving up a turkey or a ham this week. And for those of you who are not, just have a happy week in general. And we'll see you next time.
0: See you next time, everybody.